All right. Good morning, everybody. Got Eric Castillo here, your host with the Warrior Mindset and Motivation. I got Tim Burley here. Uh, really, really good guy. And we're going to talk about some things that he's done. Uh, special treat because he's he was a part of the Cold War and you don't really hear too many people about that. And we're, we're going to get into that and how he was during that time, his what, what his state of mind was, the mentality that he had to go through during that very hard and trivial time. And we'll go ahead and then we'll get our, on his transition and then what he's doing now, which was huge, which was happening yesterday. And I'll let him talk about all that stuff. But Tim, go ahead and tell everybody here watching uh, a little bit about yourself. Oh, a little bit. We were just talking. Thank you, Eric, for having me <laughs> on today. Uh, you know, maybe I'm too old for life anymore. You know, you, you build up and, and you do what you do in life and then you look, reflect back on it and go, holy cow. You know, uh, my, my goal has always been to be active in my community and active in our country. Uh, I, I'm with Welcome Home Vet now, which is in native. We started, actually, there's a company formed around it called VetTap, uh, which we formed about a year and a half ago. We, we went deep into... Uh, a problem that I've seen in the veteran community for a long time, and that's the transition out. Uh, we started working with uh, a couple people in the Department of Defense and discussing transition out. And as we keep growing, uh, actually, we'll be meeting soon with more people with the Department of Defense to use the program we're doing right now kind of as a uh, across the United States initiative. Welcome Home Vet is actually a program for veterans or for military members before, during, and after they serve. And the impetus of it is uh, to help them with financial counseling, uh, spiritual counseling, just the whole gamut of life skills. We go into the military when we're 18, 19 years old. Half, half of us haven't bought auto insurance. You know, yeah. So we get to the post. We can post after basic training. We run down to the dealer right offside post. They say, yeah, I can get you in a, this car for 24%. You go get it. Yeah. And talk to, I, I talk to Eric and say, who, who can I get insurance from? So you call Bob down the street because Eric got it for 30 cents. You don't have the right coverages, but it's cheap, which is a mentality. You don't know that what a 30, 30, 30 or a PPP is or anything like that. You yeah. just know it. they told me it's insured. Yeah. So we walk through those life skills and we look at where a veteran is or where somebody going in is and where somebody is coming out. Uh, my son, both my sons were in and actually one of my sons called me a couple of weeks ago and we had a, he had a female veteran friend who was getting out and she wants to be a cook or not a cook, but start her own uh, what we would call the we call them the military gut trucks or wrote, you know, road, yeah. road <laughs> yeah, truck. <gut> truck. <laughs> but now it's the now it's the professional, you know, go and serve tacos or and she had her grandmother's Creole recipes and loves cooking Creole. And she wants to do that when she gets out. So what we did is worked in our network, hooked her up with Chef Zito, who's an up and coming chef who really loves veterans, who's actually helping her fund her business. Uh, to get her grandma's, in, in, she, I think she's starting in Atlanta, Georgia. But we, what we do is hook up the resources for veterans getting out. Uh, and so we go into communities and actually train communities. Here where I live, our community, our mayor, uh, our city council, our economic development, our chamber of commerce have all gone through training. Uh, so we've actually changed laws in our community for veterans. If you apply here in Hutchinson, Minnesota, where I am, uh, for a job, 
your degree doesn't matter. Your military experience does. If you haven't gone to four years of college, if you were in E6 or in E7 and were in charge of multi-million dollar equipment and all that, quite frankly, they'll hire you minus the degree, even though it says bachelor's degree required. Right. And in the military too, like as you move up, it's like a period you start with not really responsible too much. And then when you hit that E7, E8 period, you're responsible for a lot of stuff. I know at one point I was responsible for almost $4 million worth of equipment when I was deployed. And that's just what I was signed for. And then the Lieutenant, that was like double because he was responsible for the platoon. So like, it's a lot yeah. of stuff and it's a lot of responsibility and it's almost, it's, it's kind of like it, if you break it, you buy it to a sense, as long as it wasn't <laughs> negligent, you know, like as long as it's not negligent, well, it's okay. <laughs> when I was, you know, when I was in, I had to sign for an M60 A3 tank. That's where I started was on tanks. You know, you're signing for an M60 A3 tank. Oh, it's only, you know, $6.2 million or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, 20 right. years later, we have an M60 A3 in our veterans park here uh, on display and I, I get a call from a lawyer you need to sign for the tank and I'm like listen <laughs> I did that years ago I'm not doing that again I'm not a fool right. <laughs> like and, no uh, no thanks I don't have to do that <laughs> especially when I can't drive you know I, yeah. I can't use it I'm not signing for it uh, so right. yes I, I was in during the Cold War I went in in the early 80s uh, when we were still uh, there was still tension with uh, Russia at that time in the in the Soviet Union and, and we had our out we were in Germany and, and that was back in the days where uh, the big surge was if the if the balloon went up, the Russians came through the Fulda Gap. Uh, we had our, our death spot at the Fulda Gap. We went there and we knew exactly where we were going to be. Uh, all of our tanks, all of our equipment were fully combat loaded every day of the year. Uh, back then we had alerts and that was our test thing. So it could be three times a month, six times a month, once a month. Uh, we're in the middle of the night or in the knowing the army, the army did it. Well, they always did it in the middle of the night, three in the morning. You'd get what they'd say, Larry to advance. You just get this knock on your door, Larry to advance or a phone call or whatever. And you had pretty much 30 minutes to get down to your tank with and get it completely loaded, carry all your weaponry. And you started moving. If they said you moved, you moved. We right. Never and that, that actually. Oh, go ahead. Uh, you never knew which one it was. It was real or not. Right. And it, that actually, like, even to compare it to modern, that actually sounds like the QRF, which is the quick reactionary force, where you're kind of like on a standby. And once you get the call, you got anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, depending on what it is, to get suited up and out the gate and responding to what's uh, going on there. And I was stationed in Germany, too. And I know the weather is freezing there. It is The snow gets cold, like... There, there is no sympathy in the winter time for Germany. Like it just beats cold. So, like when you guys are doing that stuff there, and you guys had your alerts and everything like that. Like, what was the? I guess what was the? Call it the the command climate. Like, what was the the vibe that was going on when it was going? Like, was it kind of free flow? Was it kind of chaotic? Or was it like an organized chaos? Or how was that back then? You know what? It was like it. It was like a da a rehearsed dance. And that's why they did it so often. It was it was with a, with us. We just knew exactly what steps we needed to take. It was a team. Our, our loader knew that he picked up this, this, and this. All the tank commanders knew this, this, and this. Everybody on the crew knew exactly what they were doing, and everybody in the battalion knew what they were doing. So it was like a choreographed dance, and and it was actually so you know efficient. Now we had one time we we 
we knew all the tank tracks and this was during kind of the time where the uh, government had cut back on we couldn't get parts you know here we are standing on the front line we couldn't get track parts uh now here's something hilarious i'll tell this secret many years later and hope our track was deadline so tanks on the side always kept extra track blocks so we went one down one night my tank commander said let's go down and take track blocks off the side of other tanks so we we did and we rebuilt our track in the middle of the night Oh, wow. Well, we, two days later, we had a Larry to advance, and we moved. And we were one of the few tanks that actually moved and didn't have a broke track. Uh, we actually got an award for that. Uh, General Be- or Colonel Beal, who was there at the time, uh, who was like the most angry man in the world. Uh, and if you're, you were in the military, he would stand in the middle of the road when people drove on post in the morning and, and yell at them for speeding. That was... He just... <laughs> <See> those. <laughs> uh, but we rolled out, and the first two tanks that rolled out, tank, our tracks broke, and they came to us. He said, why, why didn't you break now? What's going on? And we said, we stole the track. And he said, for, for using, what, like you said, you're the only people here who cared if their tank ran. And so they brought all new track in for the whole battalion, basically flew it in, and everybody spent, you know the military, let's do it on a Friday at 3 o'clock. You know, yeah. dropped it off. And back then, there was no Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was every day of the year because, you, you know, the Russians didn't yeah. say, hey, let's, let's attack on a Monday and we'll let you have the <laughs> weekend off. Right. Uh, so actually, our tank crew stayed down and helped the rest of the battalion do their tracks because that's what we did now. You guys do it now and we did it then. We're not taking the right. night off when my brothers are down there working. Uh, I had the, uh, the great honor of going over. I, I was soldier of the year over in for Usera. And, uh, you know, one of the cool prizes was to go to East Berlin, get to see East Berlin. And I, I went and actually, this was before the wall came down and we were more at peace then, uh, right. got to actually go over and work with a Soviet union, a, a Soviet unit and, and do the happy, Hey, we're, we're good. We're nice Americans, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, the funny part is I went to Ukraine in 2002 and, one of the guys who was in East Germany, who I met, who I took out for beer, uh, recognized me. So I was going to see his aquaculture farm. I was there on an agricultural mission. And my translator said, he knows you. And I was like, I have what? I've never been to Ukraine. <laughs> well, we tagged it back to he was in Berlin. Now, here's the hilarious part. When he got out, when they get out of the army there, they took their AK-47s with them. So he had like five... Wow. AKs. So he's like, let's go bird hunting. Uh, we're bird hunting with an AK. He, well, he had a fish farm and they had cormorants and he wanted to go shoot cormorants. So here's two enemies from 30 years, 20 years earlier out on a pond in the middle of Ukraine on the Romanian border shooting cormorants. Uh, we had a blast and literally. Uh, but, you know, when the wall came down, it, w- it was a uh, the military changed. Everything changed, and now then we went into you know the the Iraq Afghanistan. It's a different war, but the the wounds of the war, all of that, are still the same. I mean, we lost people right. during the Cold War on the border. Uh, things were happening on the border that wasn't weren't reported. Uh, they figure about, about eighteen hundred people died during the Cold War on, along the border, and that's why they moved the Cold War. Now Congress moved that into into and. The American Legion changed the same thing. Congress changed that into a, a wartime, an actual war 
as opposed to right. just giving it the name the Cold War. Right, giving it just the title. And it's funny you say that when you met with that guy or that soldier from Ukraine, because they do in Germany, they have a German American partnership that they do every year. And that was nice to do because you go uh, shoot the German weapons and you get a chance to earn the German proficiency badge or the uh, shoots and sneer, which is a cord that you see on my dress uniform where you can wear on your dress uniform for enlisted yep. personnel. And uh, it's it's neat that when you think about it, like we partner with them and we do stuff with them. But just not that long ago, I mean, it's not that long, but it really is. We were fighting against them. World War One, World War Two, when they damn near took over the whole world. So it's, when you see the transition and the change of how it goes and then it's like now it's like, dang, I'm working with the German guy who not his fault, but we were enemies at one point. So it's nice to make that comparison from now and then to yours back then. I think it's kind of neat. Well, they had us, I mean, with the Iraq-Afghanistan war, we outnumbered them. I mean, we outnumber the Taliban and all those people. We could send our complete military in and probably devastate them. You know, back then, the Russians outnumbered our tanks nine to one. Now, yeah. the interesting part is we could load nine rounds and fire them before they could ro- load two. They had auto loaders back then. We had, you know, uh, people loaders. And yeah. like my loader on my tank... Uh, you know, construction load. So that ro- load fired. He actually used the suction of the tank to pull the next round in. And that's how mm-hmm. you, two seconds later, you were on target. So, right, yeah. uh, and now they moved to the M1, which is basically got two targets targeted at the same time. You know, so right. uh, the, the technology changed. Uh, my sons, I have had two sons who have been in. Uh, one was a cryptolinguist. Uh, I think I speak fluent German or fairly close to fluent German. We nice. spoke German to our children. When he grew up, he really had a knack for languages. So he is actually, uh, in, in your war, he speaks Persian Farsi fluently uh, hmm. and several other languages. But he worked, last night on the show, we had uh, uh, Mark Nuchin, who was that, with the 12, that movie 12 Strong. Uh, yeah. He was one of the first 12 special forces in. He would mm-hmm. have been, if he would have been in during that time, he would have been in Fort Campbell actually supporting that team with Persian Farsi translation. So it's pretty oh, cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, and yeah, Mark no, was like, is. oh my God, he speaks Farsi? That's crazy. So that's like the hardest language to learn. And, right. And, and he's at a very high level. Uh, in fact, the other day he was in the grocery store and now he's a veteran and the people in front of him were speaking Farsi and he's tapped the guy on the shoulder and said, just so you know, you're talking to your daughter and I know your language. And the guy was just stood and looked at him like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so we have some fun as veterans. Uh, yeah. And go there. Yeah. And they do that. And even when we went to Afghanistan, they sent certain people to, uh, to learn Pashto, uh, the Arabic language. They will go to like a six month course to learn. So not necessarily be like a, an interpreter, but like enough to carry a conversation or if someone was talking uh, crazy, we would understand. Like I didn't learn it. I didn't get to go to that class, but I learned the basic greetings and I learned basic words. So like if they were lying, I would, I would be like, no, you're lying. You have like three seconds to tell me the truth or we're going to have problems, you know? Like, so (laughs) it's interesting. And that's why I learned German is because when I went to East Germany, I can speak with the Germans and you have to learn the dialects, but 90% of it, you understand. The funny right. part is, years later, when I went back to Ukraine, the Ukra- the Russians learned German because that's their biggest trade partner. So my, mm-hmm. so I could switch to German. I was teaching there, and I could switch to German, and with my hacked up German, at least then, because I hadn't used it in years, got my message across. Nice. And so 
we talk about the value of languages. Well, we never realize what situation we're going to be in where we need it. Right. No, that totally. And so, just with the last part of the, um, the, the code word, were there any, did you get, uh, happen to come across any engagements or was it just all like just alerts and training? Was there any like, okay, things got crazy for a little while or did any of that happen? During Libya, when we struck in, I think it was 87, uh, Muammar Gaddafi, we bombed Muammar Gaddafi and, and they, that was a pretty heavy duty alert, uh, because we didn't know what the response of the world was going to be. So they had all the train, all the, everything loaded up on rail cars ready to move or to be shipped or, or to go around whatever direction we did. That was a tense moment. Uh, we spent a couple days cause we, they sent the tanks and they, of course the army likes to send our, our tanks on the nice luxury rail cars. And then they put us in box cars. So we spent like yeah. five days, you know, on, on a train. All right, we jump back on. There we go. There we go. <laughs> you know, so so there were there were tensions going on, uh, and uh, the bombings were going on. The uh, Red Army faction were bombing a lot of places in Germany, uh, where American soldiers would go. So we were kind of locked down. On, but we did this kind of the same thing you guys do when you're deployed. You, you know, mm-hmm. you you all of a sudden have somebody bombing the bar where all the veterans are. You know, where all the servicemen are going. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had actually a tank, par- two tanks parked at our main gate. Uh, the Germans, of course, and a lot of people started protesting, which became tense. So, yeah. uh, and then Desert Storm hit. Uh, I had gone on recruiting, got out of recruiting, and the whole Desert Storm hit. And you're going, okay, here we go again. You know, it's yeah. just a different <laughs> war, different place. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like, okay, we have uh, green, brown, and black. Now we're going to Desert Sand. You know? Yeah, so, right. Uh, you said it earlier, you teach a crew how to make a difference. You know, little things change. And we have to be able to do that because when the big things change, when the whole army changes and shifts to a new enemy, we have to be ready for that. And so right. it's our mindset. Right. And this is uh, for the viewers that we, we were talking about it offline. And what I was saying is what I tried to do in the army is, is I know me as a leader when I was in E7, Sergeant First Class, and even Staff Sergeant, uh, even the Sergeant. I can't change the army as a whole. It's too big, but I can change my individual organization. I can change my team. I can change my section, squad, even platoon, and maybe affect the battery if it's in a positive way and and, and they see how I'm going and see what I'm doing, then it'll ripple. Then the only hope is for that is that the battalion will see because the battalion's big and every battery has their own tasks and missions to do. So it's, it's, you kind of throw like a Hail Mary saying, hey, look, Look at our battery. We're doing awesome. Please copy us. So we try as long as you can affect your small organization. And that's kind of how you apply it now. Like we like me as a person, it'd be hard for me to change the entire world. But I can influence people who are watching now and maybe they talk about it to their friends and their friends talk about it to their friends and so on. And then it creates a domino effect. And that, that's the hope for all this. Uh, as, as I do these, as I talk with you and other people, and that's why I highlight certain things and kind of make certain points on on aspects like that to for people who try to say, oh, I'm going to change the world. Well, uh, it's kind of hard to do that. And, and, and that's not being negative. That's just being real. Uh, it's hard to do that because you got so many different people, attitudes, countries, and everything. So if you can just influence your organization or even your, your community, your town, and just keep that maybe other people will see and then hey we can do that too and it starts to create a, a domino and 
And that kind of led me into now, as you got out of the military, how was that for you? Because I know some, some veterans have it pretty smooth and some like myself, not so smooth. And it takes time to get back up and dust yourself off after you've been laying on your back, looking down in the dark, up in the sky, like what the heck? And you see a small little light and you're trying to figure out how yeah. to get there, but you're not really moving, you know, it's just, and then you think you're, you think you're at rock bottom and you go to get up and then you roll over and now you're falling more. And you're like, wait, I thought it was at the ground. Hold on. Like, why am I still falling? And then you hit another piece of ground and you're like, geez, I hope this is it. And so for you, how was, yeah. how was your transition? How, was it, was it good? Was it kind of smooth or was it 50, 50? How was it? You know, when I prepared for it, when I, when I knew I was getting out, I had prepared for it. So I had already been job hunting. I uh, had a resume out. Uh, I had in, built my network. And that's one of the strongest things I can tell anybody getting right out right now is your foundation is your network. Uh, and that network can grow and grow and grow. And if you grow that through your life, throughout your life, you're going to be better. Now, Todd Cahill, the CEO of Inside Out, and we're both familiar with Todd, spoke yesterday at an event. And he, he said some very strong things that I remember I did. One, I kept healthy because I knew I had to get up in the morning and do PT. The first thing we do when we get out is forget about our health and our body. And and that that's a tough thing for a lot of young people getting out or anybody getting out is I don't have to, you know me, I, I don't have to shave anymore, yeah. you know? So <laughs> That's we all a big one. It, you know, uh, but we forget, you know, and, and that the morning regime of two-mile run, this, this, and this, you don't have to do that. You just you know, go to the gym twice a week or something like that because your body will start to fail. And I, I'm a perfect example of, I mean, I, I kept relatively fit. I don't have the beer belly. I don't, you know, I kept fit. I ran. I did things. Uh, my body still took a lot of punishment from being on tanks, and, and I feel it. And, and I've had some heart issues because of radiation in Europe. Uh, and and but you know what? I get up every morning and and have my regime. Uh, keep your discipline. That's important. Uh, mm-hmm. When you get out, people respect the fact that you were in the service. That, that's number one. They, uh, most Americans respect that. They just don't know how to translate that into what they do. And and so Mm -hmm. when we work with young vets getting out, first thing we do is work on a resume with professional resume writers who understand the military and convert that into something a civilian can understand. Right. Yeah. I call it civilianizing your resume. That's what I call it. Yes. But we also look, and you said earlier, Tim, your bio is just deep. It is because we continue to build our resume through our life and we keep adding to that resume and you've already got a resume and you go back to high school, you played baseball in high school and you won this and this and this, that might not mean anything to you anymore, but it does to someone else. If you're going to be a sports broadcaster, if that's on your bio, guess what? Oh, he played a lot of high school sports. You know, this person didn't, mm-hmm. that might be the, the thing that tips a balance. Right. Uh, and, and so as you work through it, so my transition was fairly easy. I found a, a really great position, uh, uh, I've always said marketing, if you're in the military and they offer you school, take it, uh, any kind of education and put that on there. If you went to a school for welding because you were the battalion welder, put it on your resume, even yeah. if you're going for a job in marketing, because it shows you were continually educating yourself. In Germany, it was six bucks of credit to go to college back right. during, you know, I just loaded up. Right. Uh, and that's even how it was for us. Like when I re-enlisted my first time. 
they gave us the uh, six month school option. So mm -hmm. that was like two two terms, basically six months. And I was younger at the time. So I took oh, I took advantage. It was like eight or nine of us. We re-enlisted and we all took that school option. Yeah, the unit was pissed because they couldn't touch us. But they're like, you will do PT in the morning because class doesn't start till 745. So we did our PT in the morning and then we went to school from eight o'clock all the way till five. And we took advantage of that for six months and we didn't have to pay for it because it was a re-enlistment option. The other thing I can tell guys getting out is save your money when you're getting out. If you're moving back to town or, you know, you're going to get an apartment and, and I'm in Hutchinson, Minnesota, you're going to pay a thousand dollars down. You're going to pay for a pet, you know, pet, you know, for the pet to be in your apartment. You're going to pay for, a, excuse me, a garage, you, you know, by the time your internet hookup, you're going to start mm -hmm. a new banking account. You're doing this. You're doing this. By the time you're done, you got three, four thousand dollars just in that, and your moving expense, yeah. which the military pays for. But you know, all of a sudden, that's what happens is they come out and they say, "Where are we going to live?" Now, with our program, we actually have grant funding available for them, so we have houses that realtors in our town have identified as part of our program. So we had a young vet get out. Uh, they moved to a smaller town, which is about eight miles from here. Uh, the house was $55,000 because it's a small town. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath, uh, huge garage, a big lot. The town's extremely quiet, which is great for PTSD because there's really no threat there. You know, your neighbors right. come over and bring you pies. You know, this is midweather. <laughs> you know, they moved in, and actually they went home uh, right before Christmas. They were here, went home, and there was a basket at the, in their front door because they left their door open. With over a thousand dollars worth of gift cards and stuff that the community put together for them, wow! And this is how the Welcome Home Vet program. We worked with all their vet organizations in that community because they want veterans in their community. They they right. have you know an, a, an aging community, and so what we require the veteran to do then is to, if we help with the grant, they can pay the grant back or loan grant, so they can say, okay, it's we helped you with five thousand dollar down payment. You can pay that back. Or you can donate eight hours a month of service in that community. Join the fire department, uh, join your, the American Legion, the VFW, and actually have somebody sign off that you've volunteered and done work. And then we pay that month. Uh, so what we're doing is keeping the activity. And what we find is the veterans doing that all of a sudden start meeting their neighbors. They start meeting people they associate with. They get back into the community. They volunteer. And what they did, that service they did, continues. Now we're getting rid of PTSD because they have a whole group of people surrounding them who love and care about them. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if they have a, a crisis, people come around them. Uh, when when uh, one of the young veterans here uh, a couple months ago, uh, he got called back for something. He, you know, he's kind of some reserve. His wife yeah. was here with their child, and the, the child started having child separation anxiety or anxiety. Mm -hmm. She reached out. Actually, we had a local organization pay for plane tickets. So once every weekend, they, her and her daughter flew down to see her husband and their and her oh. dad. And oh, wow. the community paid for it. And that was the best. To get a therapist would have taken three months. This was immediate. Let's take care of the problem immediately. Right. Uh, so no, she just went and saw daddy every weekend. Right. That's cool. That's, that's pretty neat. Um, so, and uh and I'd like to, I, I looked at the welcomehome.vet website and it's pretty, pretty neat. It's pretty straightforward. Now for people who are looking and not really too tech savvy, is this just only for Minnesota or is this like nationwide or how does that work? This is nationwide. We will help veterans nationwide. We have, we have, it, 
in California, we're pretty heavy out in California area. Uh, we've got people on the ground out there. Uh, and we're working as we do right now. We're in what we're doing is marketing to other communities. And then we go into the community and our job is to train the community. Like here in Hutchinson, we train, we work with 3M, which is a huge employer here. So when COVID started, a lot of veterans there started kind of getting the boogaloo thing. Who are we fighting? You know, yeah. and, and actually the human resources guy called and said, Tim, what do we do? You know, <laughs> we, we can't have somebody here talking about, you know, I'm bringing my AR in tomorrow and I'm carrying, you know, <laughs> and, and we went there and we, we talked to the vets there and said, okay, here's what's happening. Calm down. You know, here, we've got this to do. This is your mission. And, and it, so they hire us to do that. Right. Uh, and so we're spreading to other communities all over the United States right now. And so if you're in a community that, you know, you say, Hey, I'm in this community, we'd love to learn how to do this and, and how to change these people's thinking. And, uh, we, we, we have a fee we charge either the city or local organizations to cover our cost of going down there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we do the training. Uh, we have a complete training program put together now, since COVID we're moving all that over online, of course, do it more zoom in that way. Cause of course, COVID has created this issue. Uh, so during COVID, we've worked more uh, on advancing those things, taking a step back and reviewing our program. And right now, uh, our organization, when COVID hit and all that, we knew that there was going to, I'm on a uh, na uh, national committee uh, with some former leaders, uh, and we talked about pandemics and things like that. Uh, and And with that, we knew there was a huge crisis coming that PTSD was going to go up incrementally. Suicides were going to go up incrementally. Right. We were going to have veterans in crisis because of food, unemployment, all that. And we kind of took a step back and said, we need to be serving in that capacity. It's like, you know, when you're in garrison, you're serving a different capacity than when you do in combat. Right. We moved to kind of combat mode on purpose because we wanted to make sure that veterans were alive. And right. taken care of during this. And that's the telethon yesterday we did was that's another mm -hmm. thing, another side of the game I'm in uh, with another organization. But we we need that funding to help with the increase of the issues we're having right now. Right. No. Yeah. And it was it was a really good event. And I got to speak on there with my girlfriend at, towards the end. Uh, and it was it was nice to be able to talk. And I know that you mentioned during there and if you can hit on a little bit more, I know you have a. Uh, Native American healing stuff over there at Eagle's Nest. And it, give a little more insight about that and what that is. Because I know for me personally, I've been a part of the, the Native American healing. And it, it, it's a life changer. Like it, it really it really takes you away and kind of just says, no, look this way. Like if you, and you don't have really a choice, but you look this way. But it's, it, it really, really helps. So how, what does the Eagle's Nest do? Well, it's funny. The Eagle's Healing Nest is in Sauk Center, Minnesota. And a, a veteran's mom started eight years ago when her son walked out the va through basically was a mess he was trying to kill himself it, she decided she was trying to use the system it didn't work and she said you know what i'm done so she formed what's called the eagle's healing nest which is uh it was an old woman's school well back from 1906 uh the land was that they had for young ladies who got pregnant and of course they that was taboo back then so they went to this home while it sat empty. Well, Melanie Butler, who's the uh, operator there, the director there, uh, went and we started converting rooms and there's an auditorium there. It's on 125 acres of land. There's a farm there with cattle and horses. 
and the wow. veterans go there. Any veteran can go there for free. And I go there once a week, actually, just to just to calm myself down. It's it's so peaceful and full of love. And there's right now, typically before COVID, we there'd be 70 veterans there, uh, you know, on and off. And, and they go mm-hmm. there to heal. And the funny part is about 100% of them heal and, and go on with great lives. And they can be there as long as as short as they want. And they build a structured program based on all the programs. Uh, we have Welcome Home Vet there. So we help them actually transition out of the nest. Uh, so we're just going, okay, you're starting over. Now we help you with your financial thing. and uh, But Melanie formed that. And I'm going back to the original question of uh, that model is being taken throughout the United States too. In fact, you're seeing more and more open up. And uh, the veterans are responsible for each other. It's like going back to a post, but with love, not with get up. They get up every morning, have to be at 830 in the morning because you have to do the lawn work and stuff like that. You're not going to sit there for free and you're not going to be depressed. You you learn structure again. You reformulate. Uh, Veterans have different groups that they uh, can be part of. And they have the Native American teepee there that was built by our local. uh, I'm not. I'm, I've got to get the tribe right. We have Dakota Sioux, different tribes here. Lakota are up here. Uh, but they have uh, a teepee. They have a sweat lodge. And they do spiritual healing there, uh, as well as spiritual yoga. So there are all kinds of different uh, non-traditional methods of healing. Uh, and the veterans love it. And, and a lot of them take on uh, that. And they use that. The Native American healers come and, and do their thing and and work with them. And, you know, you have guys, they'll... They'll post photos on website, you know, they're all sitting in a sweat lodge of the teepee and stuff. And you're going, when I first saw it, I was like, okay. And I grew up next to American Native uh, in North Dakota. So I'm very familiar with uh, the Native American, you know, uh, spiritual healings in, in the tribes and, and how they do different things. And, you know, you're going, okay, is this going to work? But they swear by it and, and you swear by it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, we, you know, we, we have to look outside the box and, you know, pushing opioids and pushing drugs and pushing that like we, we typically they do with veterans isn't the answer all the time. In fact, I after my heart issue and everything, I don't take any over. I don't take any prescribed drugs. Everything I do is natural. Nice. Now, how did how did that how did that spiritual tie into that? Like, how did how did that partnership start? Like when you just said hey is was it like a hey you guys should come over here and check this out or how did that how did that relationship kindle and become to what it is now it's interesting melanie has so many threads throughout so many different communities she was you know she's a motorcycle girl but she's a has native american friends she has this the the eagles healing nasty is and we call it and and i know rachel get upset we call it the tribe (laughs) And the reason we call it that is because everybody loves each other. So it's not a negative connotation on the on the word tribe. And it's not a Native American connotation of the word tribe. It's it's the true thing of people coming together in spirit. And, and so when you have that, your network of people who want to help is huge. And when you create that love, I mean, the people who go to the nest are, are from all walks of life. They have a chiropractor who goes there for free. He's an army chiropractor. He was in the army. He gives his time. We, they have a space there for him. He works on any veteran there who needs it for free. Every weekend he goes up. Uh, we have uh, therapists, mental health therapists, all different flavors of them, not just arts or this. 
So veterans can experience. Uh, I always laugh. There's a, a E7 there, and I'm not going to give names because that's all. I, I try to keep their personal thing. But he had never done spiritual yoga or yoga, and he does yoga religiously every day now. He said, I wouldn't start a day without it because it clears his mind. It's his body. And, and so we're we're not only we have to be open minded as veterans. Everything isn't who, you know, power kill, you know, all this stuff. There's a lot of emotion code. I mean, I'm sitting here right now. I, I can drive to a lot of things because of emotion code and body code therapy. Now, people mm-hmm. look at me like, you're nuts. You can't do that over the phone. I, I did. And, and my wife will be a testament to it. She watches mm-hmm. me, you know, uh, another veteran and I went and carried about 300-pound furniture, and it didn't affect me. Before emotion code and body code therapy, I would have been laid up for a month. Right. Um, so, and I haven't had back pain forever. Driving back from the cities, doing 12 hours yesterday on TV would have killed me. I, I'm, you know, I was tired, but my back feels great. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so it, it seems like uh, Melanie was like kind of like that main link for that, for the, the spiritual healing and kind of getting that nest going with that. Yes. Yes. And and you know what? The great part about Mel is she's, and, and all of us who, who work with that is we're open-minded enough to see that, you know, if it's working for the Native American community, why couldn't it work for the whole community? It, it, you know, we're, we can have diversity and look at diversity and look at diverse things in the world without having division. That's our country's problem right now. Everything we talk about with diversity has to include the word division. You can do it. We can't, they can do it. We can't. Uh, when you have people come in and, you know, Melanie's office is full of dream catchers and uh, feathers and all kinds of things. Our native American tribal members come because they volunteer there and they, we forget yesterday, Veterans Day was yesterday, and I'll, I'll, a day late, thank you to everybody who served. Uh, we forget all the time we have female veterans. A, a lot of, a, a lot of, you know, the American Legions and stuff, it's all men, and it's like, oh, we, you know, that they don't post every a picture of a female. In fact, one of our posts over, uh, a couple miles from here actually did a new Veterans Memorial, and they have female soldiers in it, which, you know, a lot of organizations would overlook that uh, we pay very close attention to our native american service members one of my heroes during it was a vietnam veteran named sergeant first class red door and i can't remember his first name for the life of me heck i can't remember my wife's name from a couple hours from now <laughs> <clears throat> but he before i was in primary leadership development school back then uh, which was, that's a different name now. We called yeah, it yeah. Enoch, Enoch, all those, mm-hmm. you know, the next advance. And before a test, we had our final exam, which which was a lot of people failed. And we went out for PT in the morning, had everybody take their shoes and socks off. And everybody's nervous. And, and he, we walked on the grass. And he said, feel the energy, feel the energy. And he talked about the energy of the earth and, and how you could use that energy. Yeah, he didn't have anybody in his class throughout PLDC who ever failed that test. You're talking oh, about wow. a test with a 25, 30% washout rate. He never had a failure. So you say, I, I still today go out and walk on my grass when I feel down, or I'll just go sit in the yard with bare feet and feel the energy. And, and my wife, you know, I, I, I'll take her somewhere where there's grass and just say, take off your shoes, walk. And it just takes that out of you. So mm-hmm. it could be the littlest thing. 
the Native Americans under understand it. Mm -hmm. But but you know, Bob down the street doesn't have a clue what I'm talking about and love ridicule me for it. Well, you know what? He can right. feel miserable. I'll feel great, and I'm good with that. Right, and I've done that too, and it it took me a second to understand it. Uh, and that's when Rachel had to kind of explain to me and like just to kind of just either standing or walk, but just like really just be still, try not to think about nothing and just kind of just feel. And then after a little bit, you can actually feel like you get the feeling in your legs. And as it comes up your legs to your chest, to your arms, and like you can feel that. And it's it's really, really, really powerful. It really it, is. And it's great. It is. If you understand it and, and you open yourself up to it, you can do a lot of things through without any kind of medications. And, right. and, but people want to listen. It's easier to have a doctor instruct you than to take it yourself and, and help yourself. Right. And we forget about that. That goes to the you versus you battle is yeah. I can't fight my own fight and I need someone else to do it. And that person's just going to issue me another prescription. Right. So, um, as, as we uh, wrap all this up here, yeah. if you can give uh, one message to uh, veterans out there, um, what what would it be? What what would you tell them since you have a platform like this right now to, to kind of get them up or to get them moving? What, what would you say? I would say reach out to your network and start forming your network because the people you know will carry you through. When you're down, when things aren't going right, always have that person and always find the people you trust because the people you trust will carry you through every battle. And we did it in the military. We know that we trusted our brothers. Find, keep those people in your life. You trust and reach out to them. Put your pride aside. Right. That's okay. I, I can't even say anything on top of that. That's like totally perfect. And that's what this is all about here. It's uh getting, getting your mind right, making sure your mind is healthy and um, be motivated to do it. And when, when it comes down to the end of, of the day, you can get all the motivation, all the tools in the world, but you didn't come this far just to come this far and stop. Mm -hmm. All the tools and everything will get you to the finish line. Yes, they will. But you'll stop just short of it every time because you have to cross the finish line, not the tools, not the motivation, uh, not these uh, podcasts that I do. We'll, all of this, even with Tim and Eagles Nest, we'll get you to the finish line. But it's up to you to cross it. And it's not how bad you want to cross the finish line to live a better life. Right? Amen. All right. Exactly so, right. Um, yeah. To, to finish this up here, you can appreciate everybody for watching. Uh, if you want to reach yeah. out to Tim, you can. He's on Facebook. You can also go to welcomehome.vet. Uh, it's a pretty neat website. You can check it out for veterans who are out there to, to go ahead and take a look. Um, you don't have to say, oh, I went there. You can check it out. You can reach out to them and they'll respond to you and they can probably put you in contact with someone wherever you live at. So, and it's a, it's a good, good program. It's a really, really good thing that they got going there. And if I would have known about it sooner, I probably would have went to it also, uh, cause it sounds really, really good. Um, well, we're lucky we're tied in with a lot of great people with the, with a lot, you know, yesterday you saw it, a lot of NFL players who want to help yeah. and, and a lot of. Uh, celebrities across the United States who want to help. So, right, and there was a lot of big names on there too. And I was surprised when I read the names and I seen the people, and I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "This is it was it was nice." And that that's just kind of the stuff that WelcomeHome.Vet does. So again, if you if you're a veteran and you need some help or you're not even sure where to start, because I was like that too. You kind of just sitting there, you're not even really sure which direction to go. Your compass is broken; it doesn't even work. Your 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 dagger, your GPS doesn't work. Get a hold of the Eagles Nest WelcomeHome.Vet and They'll get everything recalibrated for you and send you on your way. 
and, and, and set you up for success. So I appreciate everybody for watching. Tim, thanks for coming on. Thank and, you, Eric. And thank you. Yeah, no problem. It was beautiful. Yeah, no problem. And uh, next week, we got a guy that I know, just a little bit of an insight. He was with me in Germany, and now he's an independent contractor. And that's all I'm really going to say. You know, he's not Blackwater, but he does independent <laughs> contracting stuff. So that's going to be a special treat next week. He's a really cool guy. And I hope you guys look forward to that next week. I thank you, everybody, for watching. And I will see you guys next week. Thanks, Tim. Thanks again, Eric. Have a great day. You too.